Hello and welcome back to Braindump. Thank you for tuning in once again. I hope you guys are all doing well and lockdown isn't treating you too harshly as per. Thank you for all the wonderful feedback on Tanisha's episode. I think she was incredibly insightful and really open and honest, which was so great to hear. So thank you very much. This week, we are incredibly lucky to have Robin on the show. It was a massive pleasure getting to talk to Robin and hear his story. I thought it was incredibly articulate and I thought what he had to say had a lot of depth behind it. I felt like we really connected on this episode and I hope that you guys can get as much out of the episode as I did. Uh, Let me know what you think. But without further ado, here's this week's episode. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Braindump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the the extreme. Well, thanks, Robin. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the podcast. Likewise, thanks for asking me. First of all, before we get into the podcast, I usually just ask people three questions just to get an idea of what they're like and sort of character and things. So what is your ideal weekend? So my ideal weekend is definitely surfing in Cornwall with my uni friends. I was at uni there and I've been living there kind of the last five six years kind of stuck back at home in Norfolk now but I definitely want to be in Cornwall surfing my mates and then maybe after that go out of the camera quite into my photography and wildlife photography but definitely the ocean is the best place to be and I've got great mates down there so serving Cornwall has to be the ideal weekend sounds amazing I love that okay and question number two what three things are you thankful for right now the first one thankful uh, to yourself letting me do this again <laughs> um, after screwing around a bit with the dates and just being generally disorganized on that front and then two other things so was today I managed to get back in the pool for the first time all of lockdown so that's pretty much a year I've not been in the swimming pool in the pool so it's really good to get back and actually do that kind of exercise definitely missed it and um, wasn't as bad as I thought I'd be so that, that's good Uh, And then it has to be family. You always got to be thankful for family. And even though I probably wind them up and they wind me up quite a lot, I think they keep you, well, my family keeps me quite humble and they're there for you when no one else is. So very thankful for my family. Brilliant. Definitely a taste of of who you are. Okay, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, what do you do? do? Oh, this tough one, because this year I feel like I haven't really been doing very much with all the lockdown and everything had a few jobs fall through like I was gonna do a lifeguard season do this other job called a marine mammal observer but because of the lockdown I guess they said that they couldn't have me so it's been a funny year just mostly been at home trying to find plans to get back down to Cornwall also it's been a good year I did manage to start the year off pretty strong by going free diving in South Africa for three months on a shark internship and sharks kind of my thing as so that was really awesome yeah so the shark internship and then the other good thing is even though I'd rather be in Cornwall than at home because of this lockdown a lot of my family have come back so my sister used to live in Hong Kong uh, and now she's back at home and pregnant actually the due date was today which is pretty mental no but she's not had that yet and then my sister Juliet as well has been brought home but that's by much more unfortunate circumstances so even though it's been tough I guess it's been really good to spend more time with my family and I've really enjoyed spending time with my family and then also I've just been getting out in nature a lot more kind of locally been a barn owl flying around and these kingfishers oh amazing so basically been getting a lot more into my wildlife photography and realized that that's a journey I really want to pursue I did a zoology degree 
and I am really interested in science and nature, but I think overall I'd rather be involved in science communication and communicating and building stories and something more creative. I've kind of been pursuing that journey a bit more and recently I got given a place to study directing and producing science and natural history, so wildlife filmmaking at the National Film and Television School for a master's starting next Feb. So that's been what I've been going up to really and very excited to start that. Oh, amazing. That sounds super exciting for sure. But one of the things I really, really wanted to interview you about was you swam the channel, which is pretty an incredible feat. Yeah, thanks. So when did you swim the channel? So I swam the channel uh, literally nearly a year ago on August the 25th last year. Wow. It's pretty mental. That's mad. And how did you come up with this idea of swimming the channel? I don't know if it's something I've always kind of wanted to do in a, in a weird way, like since I was a kid. But just after finishing school, I suppose this was kind of the first moment it was talked about. I was on a train journey with some of my good friends. And I think on Instagram or something, this story of this woman, I think it took her over 20 hours to swim the channel. It was like the record slowest channel came up. And I don't know exactly what called to me then but I just kind of said to my friends that something I would I like to be able to do or like to do during uni or in a few years time Uh, so I guess that's when it was really born but it took a lot longer for that to really realize itself it's much more of a long-term goal I would say and back then I was obviously quite naive to the process of it all and what it would entail. Yeah, I remember my friend Tom being like, you'll definitely want to do it quicker or something. And at the time I was just like, the thing that caught me about it is it's not really about the time. I didn't really see it as a race and I wouldn't consider myself a particularly sporty person at school or anything. I just quite liked the kind of, I guess, mental challenge of it and the personal nature of it. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what called out to me about, about the channel at the time, uh, but definitely learned a lot more as it went on. I love a big challenge. Like I, I've done lots of, volcano climbs and big cycles and things but swimming is certainly not one of my forte so i commend you for for even taking it on so how far is the channel and then how long did it take you to to swim it so the channel as the crow flies is roughly 22 miles it's like 21.5 miles or something yeah it's a pretty big swim i can't remember what the conversion in swimming pool lengths is but it's pretty substantial. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and then I guess the thing that makes the channel pretty unique, it's got really strong tides. So that might be the, the shortest point A to B, but you invariably swim a lot further. The boat pilots are great and they, they try and, I guess, mitigate for that. So they kind of try and do it in a way in which the tide brings you out and brings you back. So it takes that out. But invariably the tide sweeps you quite far north and south so you end up swimming a lot further than you think it's i don't know exactly how far i went but it took me 14 hours and seven minutes to complete wow that's insane so that's like quite i think an average time in this in the swim world i think the record is under seven hours oh my days which is is just mental if you really think about it, it's just, it's absolutely mental. God, that sounds intense. Presumably you must have trained for this. Like it's not something you can just hop in the, in the channel and have a go. Yeah. How did you train for it? Did, how long was the training and, and when did you start and building up for it? As I said earlier, it's something that I've wanted to do for a, a few years now. I can pinpoint when I started the physical training, but I guess the preparation leading up to it, it's, it's a weird one because I thought about doing it about five or six years ago, but I didn't start doing it until I guess two years ago now I'd say I'd started the training and was on a program for about 
a year into it. But basically, I'd, I'd written in my book, like, kind of a, a dream journal, like, things you want to achieve. And that was one of them. as like the biggest one. And it's, it's quite hard to explain. But uh, particularly, I was on study abroad in Tasmania. I really felt by not doing it, I was kind of letting myself down. You know, I, I just was like, why have I not done this yet? Or why am I not committing to this? And that that really ate away at me for a while. And so I guess there was a sort of transition point where I was like, I really have to commit to this. And I'd say that that is probably the biggest moment. I remember my, my brother-in-law, who actually done, he's already done quite a few of these crazy things as well. Like he rode the Atlantic with a mate and did the Marathon de Sable. And he said once to me, like the difference between people that do these things and don't do them is that, or at least for him, was that he stayed up one night and made the phone calls and made the bookings and read the articles, whatever, you know, he spent that one night instead of saying, I'll do it when I wake up. So I think that was quite, you know, that meant a lot to me. And so there was one day, I guess, where I knew of someone that had done the channel from my uni the year before, and I just sent him a few messages and just said, how do I get on the process? And he basically just said that, just book the boat. So just go on this or this website. It's a CSA website or the CPSF website and just book a boat or just do research and book a boat then and there. And I guess the rest will fall into place. You kind of just have to take that first, you know, leap of faith almost and then figure out the details from there. God, that sounds terrifying. The minute I book that boat, I'm like, regret that. <laughs> yeah, in one way, like, what have I just signed up for? You could always back out. I mean... That's that's quite another interesting thing about it is that, that I was also thinking about is you know you only you really care like everyone else supports you and and that was huge for me and that was great but ultimately it's it's yourself that cares if you fail or succeed uh, so you put a lot of pressure on yourself in that regard and that's something I guess people you need to manage yeah I just thought I had to commit then and there and then I could work out the rest from there in terms of starting the training that friend also just basically gave me this amazing timetable with crazy swims in which I had not really done before and many of them both in the pool and, and in the sea so when I got back from my study abroad and had a bit of time off in the summer I spent like a day just was something I did at uni as well to kind of get from my uni work but I had this like small book uh, and I drew up a calendar all the way to the swim in in the book and I wrote in every single training swim and invariably I you know I didn't stick to it like exactly as a schedule and like, I had to adapt it for myself but I think that made such a difference it, it made a real big difference to me it's really good that you've been so regimented uh, and I can really really relate to what you were saying about it's only yourself that cares and you're the only person who puts pressure on it because I can really relate when it comes to like a lot of kickboxing fights and things I've done where no one else cares the reality of it is is on my shoulders I'm the only one who really bothered about it yeah but that can be really, really difficult. So yeah, that's really impressive. And it's it's great that you've been able to be so structured. In this training regime, did it consist of swimming every other day? Or how, how did it work? What did, it, did the breakdown of the actual swimming look like? It, it varied a bit. But it basically consisted of doing four to five swims a week, pretty much. So it didn't necessarily mean I take weekends off. I kind of turned it into I take my weekends off. And yeah, it's, it is interesting you say like with the structure and regiment of it because um I think that definitely definitely helped on on the kind of large scale like you you need a plan to stick to but also and this is quite interesting thing, I think if I was to go through it again I would I'd actually probably trained less because I think I 
at some point in there, I did kind of burn out. And I was also kind of, I guess, comparing myself to my friend. He was, he's been like a swimmer his whole life. Profe- well, not professional swimmer, but, you know, a competitive swimmer for a long time. And he was like rapid in the pools, crazy fast. And sometimes that really helped push me. And it was, it was good to train to that level. But also at some point you have to work out what works for you and what your capabilities and limitations are. And, you know, he wasn't swimming the channel anymore, so he could he could push himself to do really fast swims. Whereas I was kind of, you're in that zone and day in, day out, I was kind of doing really long sets and for times in the training. So I do like 3K swim and then I do a 5K swim or a 4K swim and then maybe a cool down swim. But these are like big swim sets as opposed to like a maybe more intense 1K. Yeah, like it definitely... Uh, drains you and I think that these are things you only learn by having the plan and structure definitely something I kind of wish I took more on board is is the flexibility and I guess not being so like hard on yourself if you if you miss a training swim or or take time for yourself there's you know there's times when you have to go for that difficult training session because it's like your weakness or your laziness that's that's sort of saying oh I don't want to swim today and in that case, if that's a voice in your head, then you need to take that as sort of motivation to go and do it. But then I read about this as well, that I think you can kind of tell the difference by based on the enjoyment of it. Enjoyment's a weird word for it, but I genuinely think you, you do kind of enjoy it and you know when you're feeling good. And then there were, you know, there was other sessions where I guess I, I felt really slow. Um, I didn't get injured, but my sleep patterns were a bit messed up. I just thought that training wasn't so constructive and at the time I thought that I had to push through this because that's just laziness telling me like you need a break but actually don't and channel something's hard but if I was to look back on that now I'd be more like okay that today we're not going to swim maybe we're just going to do some yoga and stretches and a short run or a gym session or or just surf today you know like take it off and learn and learn that difference basically but that said as well the training swims that I think made it for me were the ones where I felt awful and I turned up anyway and even though it might have not been the best swim I might have not got a fast time or hit all of my targets bang on it was those sessions where I went to the pool at 6am or 9pm and just went you know what look I'm gonna stay in for this hour this hour and a half whatever it is and just do it and I I think those swims particularly maybe in the channel swimming context made it compared to the swims where I got record times you know like 530 400 meters I completely agree it's so difficult that balance as well because there is the little voice in the back of the head that's always like you could be doing more someone else would be doing more but at the same time you do really have to listen to your body i can fully relate to that the burnout feeling it's definitely burnout when i was competing in a lot of kickboxing it's a real thing like when your body feels super heavy and you have no motivation to do anything like your enthusiasm for life is just sapped out of you i can really really relate to that and then people ask how how's your training going or whatever and then that's just like that's kind of what everyone speaks to you about Mm-hmm. it's interesting it's almost like that side of it is much harder than the physical side of it certainly I, I would say you know it's obviously very physically 
grueling at times, but it's it's much more of a mental game. It's much more of uh, like your headspace, and you you li- live in that that world where everyone's like so excited about your swim or whatever. And like, that's great. I love you talking to me about it and that you care. But at the same time, like everyone has asked me this question or, you know, maybe I don't feel great today because I didn't do the training I wanted to or would rather be doing this or I had uni stress on because I, I was also doing my uh, dissertation in my last year uh, of uni at the time. I can completely relate. Like again, going back to sort of when I was competing, kickboxing a lot, it would be, how's fighting going? How's kickboxing going? And you're right, it is the same conversation and it starts to feel like a job because you're doing something that you love, but to the extreme. So I can really relate. And it's really great that you're so open and honest about that because I think that's a side of sort of extreme sports that people don't acknowledge that much. We often see the the tip of the iceberg of someone completing a massive challenge, but we don't see the mental and emotional toll that it takes on us when we're, we're really putting ourselves out there. So kudos to you, man. That's really uh, impressive. Thanks. Swimming in a pool versus the sea must be a whole different ball game. Yeah, uh, they're pretty different things. In one way, they're, they're the same. And that's probably quite um, a opinion that's not shared by many channel swimmers. They'd, they'd always say prefer the ocean, and I definitely prefer the ocean. But a lot of my training did happen in the pool and technique training is definitely easier and more beneficial in the pool I'd say as opposed to the ocean Uh, so in terms of like hitting big sets and breaking it down into a structured way I think the pool just is is a good tool that most channel swimmers would be like oh no it's not that it's just the pool sucks but you know you're you're more floaty in the sea the sea's rougher it's colder it's more changeable there's tides you don't have to turn around and kick off a wall every 25 meters it's just a lot more exciting maybe you're more reluctant to dip your toes in the ocean because it's so cold especially in like november december january time but it's so much more rewarding than the pool i think you get really ground down by the pool yeah when i've not been in the pool for a while i miss the pool but i think the ocean will always win in, in terms of just diversity and and experience you know you get in the ocean and you'll always experience something new especially for the channel swim i think it's something that actually some people don't take into account enough that they don't live near the ocean so they have to train in a pool maybe an outdoor pool which is good for maybe the cold resilience but nothing can simulate the ocean the conditions and the temperature and the tides in particular you know you get stung by jellyfish seaweed hits you and you freak out it's quite incomparable in some ways so i'd say that the pool is really good training for the ocean but it can't replace ocean swimming and if, you, if you're going to try and do something like the channel swim you need you need to expose yourself to the ocean for a number of swims it's not just good enough to, to just go down to the ocean a few times I, i'd say you should be swimming or well, for me i was probably swimming in the ocean once a week and then towards the end of training i stopped swimming in the pool other than maybe for cool down swims and just started swimming in the ocean. I treated the ocean swims as more of a um, a time game. So I'm just going to try and stay in for half an hour today if it was near the start of my training and literally like nine degrees. So it's freezing. Then the pool would treat for distance and speed. So it's very different, different things. 
I'd say. And that probably that diversity of training must have been pretty beneficial. Absolutely. You've already mentioned something that I was going to talk about, which is the cold. It's something that we don't have to deal with in nice warm swimming pools. They're way too warm, honestly. Yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah, 29 degrees is, I, I was just like, this is not helping my training. I'm losing training every time I get in this. <laughs> so you almost have to train your body to the conditions of being cold. Yeah, there, there are different schools of thought on this as well. Some people swear that you need to be swimming in, in really cold water and having your ice baths and all this and like make cold your friends in you know, that really old-fashioned attitude and that it will pay dividends later on as it gets warmer. And another school of thought is that they're just two completely different things. Like there's no need to train in nine degrees water because it just isn't the same as 17 degrees water, 15 degrees water. So I think I lay a bit between the two. I think that you do need to expose yourself to the cold pretty regularly just to get the feel for it and just to also as i said earlier like get in the ocean because it's not just the temperature it's kind of the whole game it's like the hypothermia and then the swell changing boats around or people around it's just quite disorienting and and it can be quite a, like a scary world like i remember some of my first training swims even though i was 400 meters off of the coast so you know you can see land and get close to it and it's not that deep you suddenly can get quite overwhelmed by feeling that you're out of your depth or what happened if something went wrong. So I think that little exposure and building that up is really important. I remember this, there was this lady training next to me and like even in October and November, so I was quite new to it, she would like suddenly swim past me and just start having a chat and I'd been in the water maybe 25 minutes and I was about to start shaking. I was so cold, like really worried. And then she she got out of the water, didn't even break into a shake. She was just phenomenal. And she'd swum the channel like that year, I think. And I was just like, wow, like I just can never be like her. And, she, and I've like got a skinny natural build. It's like, what is going on here? But at some point she did say to me that when I, I got in January, I managed to do a 45 minute swim in I think the nine degrees water. And uh, she was said that, don't worry, I know what you're going through now, but that will translate into hours later down the line so in that sense for me i'd say you do need to expose yourself to the cold regularly and you do kind of need to make it a friend and and get over the cold but at the same time i don't think you need to go to the extremes of the ice baths all the time or i must stay in the cold constantly you know like open the windows in the winter turn the radiators off i think some people go a bit too extreme in that way and i i just think what's more important is to swim in the ocean is to get used to the feel of things. I did a few training swims in a wetsuit just to try and like break into that. And for a while I was a bit worried maybe I will go back into a wetsuit. But in the end I didn't need the wetsuit. And it was true that exposing myself to the cold on, on the day like is hard, I guess hard to believe, but the cold really wasn't an issue. Everything came together for me on the day. The weather was so warm. Uh, it's very different to August this year. It was like 28 degrees air temperature. Water was... 18 19 degrees and by the time you've trained that much for the cold it just wasn't the, the issue on the day i was worried that that might be the issue but i think on the day the issue was just the tide and just the sheer time of it the mental game of seeing france and it not getting closer and <laughs> like time just becomes an abstract concept god it sounds intense man did you ever worry that you wouldn't be able to do it yeah so i i didn't worry I wasn't going to be able to do it I worried that I'd let people down and let myself down and I'd give up that's that's what I I worried about 
more come up who the swimmer was but I remember listening to podcast by a swimmer once and she talked a bit about this how the one thing she kind of just wanted to make sure she didn't do was not touch the boat and not give up got to a point I guess where I was quite familiar with with I guess my levels and I I trained with this coach once or twice and he took me out in a boat and he kind of predicted for me it'd be around 14 hours and I sort of made this mental note that I could last 18 hours and at the end I thought that I was in then and I was like this is it I just can't do any longer but I just kind of got to a point where if the crew or the captain decided that the swim was over for me and called me into the boat and was like look you're done I, I guess I, I got to the point where I was totally okay with that. I had to accept that. that. That was fine with me. I just didn't want to touch that boat. I didn't want to give up. I just didn't want to give up on everything I trained for. I never felt so determined to actually try and see something through before. I also remember reading a, some advice from Channel Swimmers about Swimming a Channel, and it kind of said how it's easier to carry on going. It's easier to swim the channel than to not swim the channel because then you get a whole kettle of fish of, I guess, the emotions of, not completing what you set out to do and also it said that people that attempt to swim the channel attempt again and that just stuck with me I really just didn't want to give up I just wanted to make sure that if I was called out that'd be totally fair enough and I'd had my swim I'd put my effort in but I wasn't going to touch that boat it was very tempting at times I nearly accidentally swam into it once (laughs) (laughs) it's amazing that you uh, had had that conversation with yourself before you set the challenge I think that's a very healthy way to approach these things knowing where your boundaries are and things like that and again very very commendable now you've already mentioned the boat is there a boat who's just like following you around and stopping other boats running into you like is there boat traffic you have to consider yeah it's the busiest or the third busiest shipping lane in the world so it's definitely quite a scary thing that thought and that crosses your mind a bit and in one of my training swims following a little boat like a little rowing boat you're just fixated on the boat and that's what you have to be just constantly but I saw my friend Amy and she like she was looking forward like looking really concerned on her face in this training swim and I was just like what is going on it's, it's weird you can read a lot of body language when you're in the water because you can't really hear what's going on but you can read people like what is going on there and I saw her worry and then I looked forward at one point and I was like 50 meters away from a big cargo ship, just like anchored near Falmouth where I was. So it wasn't dangerous or moving anything. And the uh, swim coach just thought it'd be a good idea to just get me close to it for some exposure. And like, you feel really, really small. But on the day, I didn't have any run-ins with a boat. I saw one sailing boat maybe. So in terms of the boat, you follow the boat. So I stayed on the right-hand side of the boat for the whole swim and you just try and stay parallel with it so the other thing my swim coach kind of hammered home to me was how important it is to stay in line with that boat and that was something I didn't really think about too much throughout the training because I normally would just follow one of my friends in a kayak or just keep swimming along these boys and different points of distance but if you start deviating slightly like swerving your swim as opposed to staying completely parallel with the boat every time you do that even though it's like a maybe five seconds deviation or whatever it can have huge repercussions on the the bigger scale and like actually add hours to the swim and the boat has to plot a line for you so that's how they know because any collision that would happen with a boat will be like in 20 minutes time or an hour's time they they'd be plotting the courses they can see every boat's course so if you keep deviating slightly the boat keeps adjusting slightly or you keep adjusting slightly so you start getting out of sync 
with overall pattern and then they can't predict accurately where you're going to be at different times so it was so important that I, in my training I'd always swam breathing every three strokes just for evenness but then on the day for some reason I just as I thought it was so important I just breathed only on my left side so I was just every second stroke looking at the boat making sure I was in line with the boat and then I think hour four I realized I'd just been looking left so I tried looking right and I just couldn't look right my neck had seized up that way I just couldn't turn to the right anymore no way so I did the whole swim looking to the left that's savage man that's insane it's amazing from a perspective of a non-swimmer how these things make such a big difference over the course of the whole trip so you mentioned you had this swim coach is this like a person dedicated to helping you achieve the the, the channel crossing yeah so i actually didn't have many sessions with the swim coach mostly i just followed my friend's training plan that he gave me as i said i adapted it for myself the, f- the few things from that plan that i really stuck by was i made sure i did a four hour swim before christmas and I did it in a wetsuit in the end, but it just gave me a lot of confidence that I could last longer than I thought I could. Um, so that was like a real big milestone. It's interesting how you kind of build these steps up. You very much take it step by step. And I think you have to see it like that as opposed to the bigger picture. Otherwise it consumes you a bit. And then in his plan, I also got like a mini taper at Christmas. So I did like no swimming for like two or three weeks at Christmas, which was great. But it did meet getting back into training a bit harder. And then, yeah, so you said in terms of swim coach. So this swim coach was just the coach of some family friends in Cornwall. And they said, maybe you should just have a session or two with this guy. He was great. He was an awesome guy. It was just quite expensive having swim training lessons with him. So I only did a few of them. Basically, that's when I probably started realising a bit more about how I burnt out and... He focused on a lot more on on the stroke and technique, which was something I hadn't considered too much. I thought it would just sort of fail, fall into place and obviously a little bit. I definitely didn't ever kind of do a breakdown into that. I, I was always trying to hit my distance or hit my time as opposed to really thinking about the swim technique. You know, this again, where well, I guess you have to sort of trust yourself on this because my other friend was saying there's no point thinking about swim technique now like you've all just swim the way you're doing you're fine and it's something that you'll have bred into so long ago that you won't be able to change it now but at the same time I think it really did help thinking about a lot of things he said to me and it's something I I really do think about now and I've tried helping friends with it actually with their swim times their lifeguards sometimes and They've managed to save like 20, 30, 40 seconds off their times just with technique improvement. So he, that's what he did for me, was get me focusing a bit more on technique. So one part of uh, swim technique is um, is reducing your stroke count. So like say you've got 25 meter pool. And I think I'd usually take 20, 21 strokes to do that. And now I can do it in 17 strokes. So that's a lot less strokes done over a channel swim by that logic it's definitely something you should focus on and people might not take it seriously you might think that oh it's just it's just something you slog away at which is what kind of inspired me to do it but actually sometimes you're also going to think a bit smarter about your technique and unlike running and cycling uh, where I think you can just sort of run harder or cycle harder and get better results I think if you thrash around in the water you're just gonna like you're drowning like you're not gonna you're not going to get anywhere faster. So that's what he did for me. And then he also hammered home to me the point about following the boat. So he took me out for, um, I think, two or three swims in the end from the boat. And these, again, like little things you wouldn't really think about and take for granted. But 
suddenly now eating from the boat or using a net and these things are like are just different to how my friend would hand me food from a kayak and it maybe a little bit less smooth so they're little things you don't think about and then trying to go beside this boat suddenly like makes you think about these things and you realize how important they are and then he also took me out for a nighttime swim which is my last training swim and it, that was like such a highlight it was really amazing uh swimming out in bioluminescence so that time of year in Cornwall sometimes the water has bioluminescence so it's like the sea is sparkling always. So he just took me literally like an hour, I think it was, an hour out to sea in the dark. And all you can see is just the bioluminescence on yourself and the lights of the harbour and the surrounding town. And then like the night sky. Wow. It was really good to try and swim at night, number one, because a lot of channel swims happen at night and mine happened to start at, I think 4.50 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning. So I started in the dark for an hour or two. So that's another thing you just got to kind of think about and you get your lights on. Yeah, that's what my trainer did for me. Uh, but he only did kind of three or four training swims with me. I don't didn't have a trainer the whole way through. That's incredible. And especially the bioluminescence. That's a magical experience. Yeah, no, it was really special. Yeah, I can imagine. It's a, it's a phytoplankton, I think. But it's apparently a self-defense mechanism. Oh, sweet. So I, I don't really understand how it's a self-defense mechanism. I guess when there's loads of them and there's like loads of lights, the predator gets confused. But um, I feel like it's just letting them know where you are. So yeah. <laughs> a bit counterintuitive. <laughs> Pretty tremendous that you've had that experience. How did you prepare mentally for this? Did you talk to many people about how you were feeling of going into it or anything like that? Yeah, I, I did. I talked to previous swimmers, I think mostly. Um, as well as just kind of online and I read a channel swimmer's book about his experience of it and his training that was mainly just my mental preparation was kind of seeking advice from other people and basically also my support crew so going back to what we said earlier about how you know when everyone's like asking how your swim's going and this kind of thing I think it's kind of interesting you get to learn which people genuinely care and which people kind of not along for the ride, but, you know, like, this is just a cool thing. Mm-hmm. So over that course, the people ended up, like, being my support crew. They really helped me manage that in a way so I didn't have to. Like, obviously, I, I did have to, but maybe, maybe they they saw when I needed more support compared to other times and tried working things out. And it really is a, a mental game, more than a physical game. It, I think you have to sort of just allow yourself to be quite vulnerable at times and put your hands up a bit and say you don't really know what you're you're doing sometimes like signing up with that um that swim coach one time you know part of me was like I don't need a swim coach uh, I've I've got this swim schedule like I know what I'm doing I don't need his guidance I need him to tell me how to do a swim stroke but then I realized that actually that that was just me like kind of being a bit of a bravado about it and actually like what have I got to lose and as I said earlier, he gave me some really important tips that I'm just kind of like little phrases to say. So this is probably the other side of the mental prep is, is it becomes quite meditative swimming and swimming that long. So I'd really break things down. Like if it was in a pool and I had to do a kilometer, say that's 40 lengths, I'd always know I could do five lengths or 10 lengths maybe. So I just swim those 10 lengths and then sort of repeat. And so you kind of, get really good at, at being in the moment and letting your mind sort of run away of itself, which can be a good and bad thing, but you just sort of like watch 
the thoughts go through. That really helped me. And then kind of just imagining songs to sing. And I had like a little playlist of, of songs that I developed. Um, and then I had these like little catchphrases. So my friend that swam the channel, it's a bit like cheesy, but he said, who's the man? I'm the man. Who's the man? I'm the man. And that, that helped him. And like these things sound ridiculous, but anything your mind can sort of latch onto uh, really helped. So I had that one and then I had like just swim to France, just swim to France or Cap Grenet, Cap Grenet, which is where you're getting to. And then I also had like cod head mackerel tail, cod head mackerel tail. Which is, <laughs> and they're like, they're just ridiculous things. You just say them over and over in your head, but they kind of just take your mind off of the immediate situation. Those mental preps, I think, were really helpful. And then the other thing, going back to what you're saying as well, was that it is just about taking it step by step. There were definitely times I, I looked at it and was like, I'm overwhelmed. You know, I've got so much going on, so many plates spinning. Like, what am, what am I doing? I've never even done a proper swim race, let alone a channel swim. But then if you just go, that's fine, just do this swim. Don't worry about that next swim or don't worry about that next half an hour of swimming or that hour of swimming or whether your support swimmer can do the swim or what going on if the feed goes wrong like I'm quite of a thinker so this stuff can like build up and probably did at times but I think you really do need to take a step back and just take it as it comes that's that was the mental preparation for me in some ways I think that's so important you said a lot there that I really really resonate with you're saying about when you do a big challenge like this knowing who the real support is is so important I remember when I was fighting at the world champs There'll be a lot of people who want to get caught up in that limelight. As a result, they're sort of checking up on you, but I'm not sure they really have your back. But then your coach and your loved ones who really understand how much this means to you can really understand when you need a pick up or yeah. when you need encouragement and things like that. Completely understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. Also what you said about accepting your vulnerability. I think that's so true. Like there are times when you do feel massively overwhelmed and accepting that it's okay. You know, we don't have to have all the answers and as long as we're putting one foot in front of the other and keep plodding along, we're all gonna go in the right direction. And again, that stems into the taking things as they come. Mm. Uh, the small blocks of achievements that we can motivate ourselves to do really, really compound. Just keeping it in perspective as well. Massively, yeah. I think that's so helpful. Really helped me out as well was that even though it was really tough at times, the purpose, having such a purpose really motivated me and sort of put the swim in perspective for me as well like that it was obviously it's a big and tough thing but ordinary people and have achieved what I would say are almost bigger obstacles in their life than just swimming and it's like at the end of the day it's a big swim but it's only a swim there are much more important things at issue and and you compare yourself to other people like I said my friend was a competitive swimmer and fast and I joined this surf life saving club which was also fantastic support network but they're not going through the same thing as me they're not going through the same journey they might have their own stuff going on whatever it is but you you just sort of need to put yourself in perspective and kind of know where you stand with it and know that you know I didn't need to be the fastest swimmer on the day I didn't need to do all these things I just knew that I need to do what I need to do and what I was doing at four obviously my my brother sadly taking his own life and the kind of issue of mental health 
I thought that that issue was, I guess, bigger than myself. And I, I found this was quite an interesting thing that I guess when I signed up to do the swim, it wasn't entirely out of ego, but I, it was probably more about something I wanted to do for myself, which I think is important and you need to do things like that. But I don't think personally what can get you through to the finish is just doing it for yourself or is just doing it for ego or for those, those motivations. I think you have to do it for something that gives you purpose or is, a, is bigger than yourself. So I guess I always tried to remember that as well in my mind. It's so nice to hear you speak from the heart when you're speaking about your challenge because I think that is ultimately what gets you through these things is heart more than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So you're in the water you're starting the challenge. What are you thinking on the beginning of the, the swim? At that point, you're committed. Everything's now been taken out of your control. So up, up until this step, everything has been sort of augmented by yourself. Like you've been trying to put people in place or go to different training swims, r- arrange things. And then suddenly, like now you don't have to worry about anything apart from the swim, which in one way, it was actually like a massive relief. And I, I became very like tunnel visioned on this which is quite interesting in that I now was just like my crew can worry about everything the boat can worry about navigating and I was just like I just have to worry about what I've been told putting one arm from the other doing my thing so that was actually quite like liberating but also you're sort of like ah, oh, I really don't want to like I don't want to mess the boat up now you just really want to get going and don't do anything stupid so I guess that was also there in my head because at the start what you do is you actually jump in the water and swim to a beach you jump off the boat, swim to a beach, and then they like sound a horn, and then you go. So you're a bit worried, like, have you applied the Vaseline correctly, the hat, the goggles? You really don't want to mess with your goggles during the swim. And yeah, you, I like you need to lube yourself up in Vaseline more for the chafe than for insulation. You get really bad like chafe under the armpits. Uh, so that's I guess what I was worried about. But my observer, so you have an official observer that the channel swimming body sticks on the boat to make sure we don't cheat or just make sure everything runs smoothly. Uh, he like gave me this kind of quite good advice just going into it. And he was saying that swim hard the first two hours and then don't worry in the middle of the channel, just carry on swimming. That's where you want to be. You're doing, you're swimming the channel, the middle of the channel is where you want to be. And then at the end, some point, we're going to push you really hard. Or you're going to have to swim a lot harder than you think you can until it's over and then I know it sounds like <laughs> the last thing you want to you want to hear but you're just like nodding like okay <laughs> this guy's done it before so I'll just do what he says and he kind of just prepares you for people just shout at you and this kind of stuff and I was like oh, I was fine I don't really care so yeah I was just kind of like focusing this two hours is going to be like my best swimming ever and then it will fall into place that's where your doubts were I guess and is it just you or are there other people as well so there are other people doing it but it's just you with your boat. So every swimmer has their own boat. Uh, I think there was like six other people in my day. There's a few other people in the water. So they set you off in the way they think you're going to arrive in France. So I was like in the middle somewhere, I think. And I did overtake two people, which is pretty cool. And they were really pushing me. They were like shouting at me, like, swim really hard now. I was, like, I was just like, why? Why do I need to? And I didn't really know why, but I just did what I was told. that You just get in this, this zone. It actually made a big difference because, as I was saying, the tide is by far like you can academically understand it when people explain it to you but that's the difference between like theory and experience isn't it and when you experience 
the tide switching and you're about to miss France because of the tide. It's just, it's really like heartbreaking. So like I overtook these two people and they were just behind me pretty much the whole way. And about hour 10, when I think my crew were quite worried and I, I didn't really know what's going on, but they were like, you've really got to push now for this next hour. It's like, oh, okay, I don't really know why. I thought I'd be here a while longer, but if they say so, I'll do that. And then that was a point where I was quite slow and struggling with it. That's because that's about the time the tide's switching. I was separated by like two hours from those other people. Like they were suddenly just separated from me by the tide. And then apparently those last four hours, it was desperate. I was just making checkpoints like on their little dot. And I kind of stupidly thought that I, that meant I was swimming so much better. That's why they're like, you just got to do a big push now. Like, I guess it's like, oh, that's cool. I'm somehow faster than I thought. <laughs> And then I, I accidentally saw France. France appeared just behind the boat. Like, so I wasn't looking forward for France. It was appearing beside the boat. So I was kind of thinking, oh, I'm like in the bay. This is amazing. Like, it can't be much longer. And then France just doesn't get closer. You stay in this spot for out what seems like an eternity. And it's just hours. And then suddenly France is close. Like, you know you're close. But the French coastline is like is sloped uh it's kind of hard to explain but it's it's like a right angle and then the tide kind of sweeps you north east and southwest as opposed to like up the beach and away from the beach so i can see this point where there's a lighthouse and it's called cap green age which is where you want to land i could see it getting closer and closer but knowing i was still too far away from it to like hit it and if I stopped swimming, I, undoubtedly I would have missed it. No way. That, that's how desperate it felt. And I was just making these checkpoints. And then it's like literally just there. But still, every time you look up, that lighthouse is closer, lighthouse closer. So you've been swimming, I've been swimming like 14 hours, 13 hours at this point, thinking I've been swimming a lot longer. And like, this is just, I cannot go on. This cannot go on. And so you've done like, what, three marathons. And suddenly if you miss it, you feel like it's going to be extended by another marathon. Oh my God. So like the finish line is about to just be taken from you and moved back another marathon. And you're just so desperate. Just like the crew are trying to motivate you however they can. And you're just in this zone uh, getting, I was probably quite angry to the crew. <laughs> that was weird. Did you ever think about throwing in the towel? Like what kept you going? It's hard to explain, but I, I just felt like I had this job to do. And like you said earlier, how people just see the tip of the iceberg in a way. I'd already done in my training a few six-hour swims, an eight-hour swim, a 10-hour swim. Like I've, I'd sort of ticked off my checkpoints, like my steps, and now this was the final step. And the purpose of what I was doing it for and, and that build-up, I, I was just kind of like, I'm not throwing it away. I'm just not going to throw it away. If they if they say I'm done, I'm done. But I don't want to throw in the towel and just undo everything. And with the purpose of it, I definitely had a moment where I was thinking everyone's watching me, all my friends, all my family are watching me. Like my friend Amy on the boat, this was near the start, but she was saying how my Australian friends, because to the study board in Tasmania, they were like watching it at a different time to the UK people. And how I just imagined them watching me and I just felt this kind of, you know, surge of people pushing me from behind and holding me up. 
willing me to go on. And because you can watch someone being tracked, like you, everyone's got a tracker, so you can literally watch it in live time. Oh, cool. Uh, so I really just felt that like, palpably. But the last four hours were definitely really emotional and tough, particularly our 10 to 11, when my friend said that you've really got to push hard this hour. I was flooded by emotions. I was like crying a bit in my goggles and I was like, I can't cry right now because uh, literally I'll blind myself. Like I just won't be able to swim well. <laughs> and I really felt this the presence of my brother being there as well. I am kind of a spiritual person, but I don't necessarily believe in all these things. And it felt very spiritual at the time. Mm-hmm. And just shortly before the swim was due to happen to stay down in Cornwall longer I kind of moved in with this family for a mutual friend at uni and they were really Christian people but they were just also just really lovely the best people I've ever met like they were so supportive and kind to me letting me stay cooking me food and just such genuine lovely human beings that they like really instilled in me a, like a, a good feeling for humanity and so Peter, the the father of that family, he is also a deacon at his church, in his church. And he kind of like anointed me and like blessed my swim and did these things. And he just said that there'll be a point where you don't think you'll be able to go on. Like you'll be, you'll be spent, you'll be physically spent, but something will, will carry, will keep you on going. And he, like, he said that will be God. And I, I don't know where I stand on believing in God, but... I definitely, I just listened to that, like, hour 10 and a half, maybe, I was just like, I don't know if I believe in you now, but I believe in you right now, and nothing, nothing got easier for, like, an hour, (laughs) but then it kind of did just sort of fall into place, and I think that really did get me, get me through it a bit, and then also just the, I guess, the issue of mental health, and what I had been through, my family had been through, I really did also have this feeling at one point that if I could prevent just one person from going through that or what my brother went through it'd be worth it that what I'm doing would be worth it absolutely an incredible incredible feat you've achieved and for such an incredible cause how did you celebrate and what did you feel like when you got to France (laughs) honestly I wish there was like a big moment with like a champagne cork flying and all of that but it was quite a anticlimactic experience, really. <laughs> so you, I climbed up on a rock, like Gollum. It was, yeah, just literally like my arms and abs and legs didn't work. So I kind of slid up on this rock. <laughs> and then someone kind of goes in closer in this small boat. And then he says, nah, you got to get on that rock because it's like a rock pool behind. So there's still water like behind where I was. So I then like slid into that rock pool and then climb up another rock, and then he just went, look up there, there's a crowd of people, I was like, that's cool, and then he said, right, get back in the boat, <laughs> and he just, like, sort of manhandles you back in, and I just sort of, like, fall in, so you don't really know whether to, like, sit down and burst into tears, or, like, whip a fist, or whatever, you just, you haven't really got time to take in that you're in, on France, and then I just got back in the boat, I, I was very emotional, but I wish I allowed myself to be more emotional now, in that zone, I, I, for some reason, kind of put on a tough face, maybe out of delirium or I don't really know what, why, but I wish I had shown more emotion then. But I basically was just overwhelmed with gratitude for my support crew, my friends. And th- those are the base of the four people 
there with me. And one of them, so my friend Beth, she actually was my support swimmer. She did four hours in the water with me uh, on and off, which also made a huge difference because you just sort of knew you weren't going to stop when she was in the water. So I was just really overwhelmed with with how much they had put in to my journey and supporting me. I found that like really emotionally overwhelming and I don't think I showed it. One, because I, I just didn't, but one also because I was just like pretty fatigued and broken. But yeah, so I'd say in that way, I was quite emotional about it. And then there, there was no like big celebration. I think we just went back home. They all had dinner and I just was like, I'm going to have a hot bath. I was like, that's, that was like my reward to myself, a hot bath and a Chinese and a Coke. <laughs> that was it. And I got out of the bath and actually like broke into shivers. It's really weird. I um, didn't shiver at all getting out of the channel. Like I was somehow kind of fine in that regard. But I got out of this bath. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's your body going to shut down. <laughs> had enough. You've already mentioned sort of you know, partly the, the purpose behind the swim. Mm. You chose to raise money for charity. What charity did you did you choose and uh, how much did you raise? So I did the swim for a charity called Rethink Mental Illness. I think they might be changing their name now to Rethink UK. Uh, and I raised about £12,000 in the end. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing, man. Mostly through the Just Giving, but through a few other things as well. So yeah, £12,000 for that charity. And my mum had kind of worked with them before. So I don't know that much about charity, but I've just something resonated with me about their cause. That just I thought that issue was pretty much the biggest issue there is in, in our modern society, in our, in our world. Mm-hmm. For a variety of reasons, like, like both just talking to people at uni and realising that everyone just goes through their own thing, basically, and that a lot of people experience mental health problems through themselves or through a loved one or in some some guise. Basically, through talking to people, I realised that, and then I started researching it a bit, and I looked it up when I was writing kind of my bio, and I looked up some stats about mental health in the UK, and I just thought it was staggering that the biggest killer of people under the age of 35 in the UK is suicide. It just it just doesn't really make sense. Just almost from an, from a scientific evolutionary perspective, it makes literally no sense. And then just like, why is this a big issue and no one really seems to be addressing? So for organisations like Rethink that try and do something about that are very worthwhile. I From that as well, I realised that back in 2015 anyway, the amount of funding on mental health as a problem is works out at eight pounds per patient it's like literally nothing there's like no funding it's just not treated like a serious issue Mm -hmm. and yet it's the biggest killer and it's also kind of been attributed to being the biggest killer via poor health as well like poor physical health and poor nutrition and these things if you could solve them they'd save people from the other issues as well drug addiction heart disease like obesity basically promoting people's Mm self-care It would save people from suicide and save people from getting ill. It will promote people to look after themselves. So I think charities like Rethink Mental Illness are really positive in that regard. It must have been. Again, my heart goes out to you and, and, and your cause. It's an incredible feat and for such an, an incredible mission. It's something that really, really resonates with myself as well, having been a suicide survivor and knowing just how dark these places can be knowing that charities like Rethink um, Mental Health can could have some kind of intervention. And I think any kind of intervention is so important, specifically, as you mentioned, at, at university, when people are trying to 
more often than not navigate the world as an adult for the first time really and I think that can be really really dark and scary places at times so the fact that you've been able to raise such awareness and a huge amount of funds for such a fantastic campaign is a commendable commendable thing you were saying that the main reason you did it is because you've been touched by the loss of your brother as well I think a few things came together because I I decided to do the swim well I, I didn't decide but I talked about doing the swim before my brother died as well so maybe it was something I kind of always wanted to do but I think my brother dying had a really profound and poignant impact on me and I don't think it's something I dealt with completely badly but I think it's something I could have dealt with a lot better throughout my uni experience the kind of weird positives out of it was it gave me this drive and energy to not throw away my uni experience and so I I remember reading for example like uh, I think I told you about this the other day that seven stages of grief or whatever it was and saying you have to go through all these in a way I was just like I don't want to go through these things you know like f you like I felt a bit of anger and I'm not a very angry person and like you get a bit angry if you've been feeling that so I think the good part was I channeled that into my degree and kind of into making like kind of strong personal choices but at the same time and I think this is kind of an issue in itself I didn't accept it I I didn't necessarily talk about it with anyone I just had probably that British stiff upper lip approach and was like other people's issues are kind of bigger by not talking about it or by not kind of letting that emotion out in maybe more small emotional outbursts it really built up inside me and I think the way it manifested itself in me was was more of a lack of motivation and maybe a bit of anxiety but in sort of just like kind of reclusing and sometimes that's really good like I know I need that to regain my energy before I go back out into kind of social interactions or just bigger pictures but in the other sense it's like you know that this isn't the way of dealing with problems either I didn't go into drinking or anything like that but I also kind of let probably negativity take a place inside me and not address that so when I was in Tasmanian study abroad I think that really just capitulated and I really just lacked this motivation for the the things I usually like doing like going out exploring with my friends stew and fishing and and surfing I still did these things and they were great for me but I could just tell you know, I almost wasn't enjoying the sweetness of life maybe you know color kind of just had gone a bit and I knew that wasn't a way of dealing with my problems and I also re- remembered that I, this was something I wanted to do and I kind of just married the two together like this is in one way the perfect outlet but also it's a good way of I guess dealing with what I had going on. It gave me I think a new perspective in that I could see a bit more what's going on in other people's lives like I could tell more when other people were down or had some serious things going on and sometimes I was I guess through this experience I had to tell people or stop people from doing kind of silly things in their own lives of like a big similar nature and so I guess like one really powerful thing I took out of it was you know I, I, there was a friend at uni once in first year that was kind of just had a bit of a breakdown and saying how like she felt that she was useless and no one would miss her and all this stuff and what I really took home from my story with my brother was that you like you may think that no matter how low it gets someone still cares or it's you don't fully grasp the impact you're going to have it's it must be a really horrible and dark place to be in and I think I've experienced it to some extent but there's all there is always a light in the tunnel and I guess I try and 
show people that and the swim was a good way of doing that i i really resonate with all of that particularly the lack of enthusiasm and the motivation for life uh, i used to describe it as almost like life has the volume turned down mm. you're still doing the things you're still experiencing the music of life but you're not quite hearing it as well and i think again you're right your experience with your brother has really almost allowed you to see things from a different perspective and you've now as you described i have a gratitude for life and a lot of empathy towards others because you know what that low low can feel like as a result you don't want other people to feel like that and and can reach out and help and again you know you're a very kind-hearted man that's kind of it's true mate it's true and i think it's so important that when people are in the dark place that they have people to turn to so it's it's fantastic that you've been able to reach out for your friend mm. and hopefully you know we can all lean on each other and we realize that we don't have to to go through these things on our own and the more we have these discussions the more we talk to people then hopefully we can all bounce off each other and, and pick each other up when we're feeling down so i can imagine how difficult that time must have been for you did it affect other aspects of your life like university and things because it must have been difficult in your first year of uni yeah i guess it did and there are some things i kind of let it affect and some things i didn't let it affect it's a weird one because i feel like people at uni definitely thought or think that i was always like really calm and quite chilled or whatever and i'd never really let on this stuff i think that's kind of the, the thing sometimes you, you look through is that everyone knows people that are going through stuff and some people are more vocal than others about what's going on in their life and maybe some of it if you've been in a situation like either of us have been for some of it kind of seems like melodrama so what some people go through compared to other people go through you have to in one way take a step back and realize everyone is going through their own thing but also I just find it interesting that I think it's always the the people that are kind of quietest or or seen the most okay or the, mo- the ones that don't talk about things or seem to have no issues almost are the people that have the biggest issue or feel it the most so I don't think it has so impacted me in in the sense of like my studies or the swim or like getting into surfing and having lots of great experiences but as you were kind of saying earlier with that the, the tuning down I think that's how it affected me I'd avoid situations where I feel a bit out of control or I would avoid social interactions in some cases maybe or take time for myself when maybe I should have been a bit more like not doing that. I don't think it affected me on like on a large scale, but I think it affected me on just how I felt and how I went through life. Mm-hmm, certainly. I think that's quite an interesting thing. And I think we're all on our own little journeys. So you can never really uh, truly appreciate what one person's journey is like when it comes to from an outward perspective. So everyone is on their own little journey. And, and I completely agree. Like that is really difficult to really contrast and i think it manifests itself in loads of different ways and it's interesting that we have a familiar characteristic in how we sort of felt this this dampening of life how did the loss of your brother impact your your family i think it impacts us all in in very different ways it's interesting how you know in one way you are the family and you you treat it together but also i come from a big family so i was one of seven there's also 12 nephews and nieces soon to be one more mum dad so there's like lots of individuals the the real silver lining of it was that we all came together it's always you know in the darkest times or in these horrible tragic circumstances that people really actually have each other's back more and look out for another so 
I really felt that the family got a lot, a lot closer in one way. That also kind of came with a sort of like, I guess, a guilt that if we'd done this sooner, could we have prevented this? And definitely, I think guilt played a big part in how I felt afterwards. Yeah, as a family, it was it was awesome coming together and really standing by one another more so than I think we had done, at least in a very long time, because we're so busy doing our own things. You know, we're all our own individuals. And sometimes it's good to take a pause from that and, and actually look at how everyone else is and look out for one another as opposed to yourself a bit or just getting stuck in your your small world. But yeah, it, it's interesting how it exposes itself in different ways because I know like my sister, for example, my older sisters, her way of dealing it was, was to talk about it a lot. And I, that was that worked really well for her and that was really good for her. Whenever she was home, she'd bring it up and talk in detail about it and for for right or wrong that for me it was like it was like a record stuck on repeat I was just like look let's just get through it like it happened let's get over it and get through it and I'm not saying that's the right thing to do either it's just interesting how different people manage things differently and that's what I would add to the like talking about your feelings thing and it's obviously really good to do but sometimes it's also good to just appreciate how someone's feeling you don't you don't need to step out of your zone to get someone to talk about something it's it's all a very personal thing I think I think it's always a very personal journey and people have to go their own path it could be years whatever I think you can't just as I'm probably a bit more prone to do pushing it away you know not acknowledging it you can't just sort of uh, pedestrian your way through life either you also have to sort of I think be quite gentle when approaching these conversations or these things you have to you have to have you know an open heart and kind of let people come out of their own shells as well and deal with it how they how they want to or how they feel comfortable with I actually listened to your podcast of day with Octavia I resonated with a lot you can't sit around in the slump on the rut but equally you need to have that self-awareness to to know who you can call on for help and just how to ask for help and you must ask for help. These things, they do have to come from in, within you. You can be there for someone as much as possible, but the self-help and self-awareness has to come partly from yourself and that's your own journey for it. And that, that was for me, I think. You know, like, I look back on it and sometimes I feel that was so stupid of me in first year of uni or whatever. Like, why couldn't I just have taken life a bit less seriously or done this differently and that's the whole thing with like why I didn't like that seven stages of grief thing I was like you're telling me I have to be sad now and I'm like I don't need to be sad now I'm gonna be having time in my life I'm in first year uni like I'm gonna smash uni this is like what I've always wanted to do and I think it sort of sits somewhere in the middle one way it could be like oh I'm so sad and just go down that rabbit hole which I don't necessarily think is healthy either you sort of have to I think things sort of present themselves naturally and it's almost like a wave you know sometimes you're on a really good day and other times just this wave of emotion sweeps you you really like look at yourself and like why did I let that happen oh I could have done this better I could have saved my brother's life I think that's a journey to acceptance isn't it that you you never fully become okay with something or I would never I don't think I'll ever fully become okay with my brother dying you kind of over time accept that completely agree and you've hit on so many points that I really resonate with uh, death has to come from you i always say this but you can walk the path with someone but not for someone and so always be there for your friends and family but ultimately they have to reach out for themselves you know it's easy to look back and regret 
and like, oh, I could have, I just should have done that as opposed to this or that. For me, I guess looking back, it's like I should have opened up a bit more in first and second year. Like it definitely also affected relationships I was in, I'd say, like I wasn't open in that sense. But at the same time, looking back on it, when I was in those shoes, when I was back then, I wasn't ready to do that. I didn't do it because that's who I was. That's that's where my journey was at the time. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that it wasn't necessarily right. I didn't talk about those things or open up in that way, but it's understandable and I, and it's how I dealt with it. 100%. You have to move forward like that. You, you can't force yourself to do something. Like You have to let things happen a bit more naturally, especially when it's to do with mental health. Definitely. That's what I would say. But you do have a duty or uh, not, I don't know if it's duty, but you ultimately you can't stay there either. You do have to you do have to pick yourself up and move forward and t- and t- use it for something positive. I think you've hit on so many points again. I think what you're saying about timing, timing is so, so important. Timing about everything, whether it's allowing yourself time to heal, timing of intervention, timing of when you think it's ready to move forward. And again, you're saying that allowing yourself time to accept it. I think more often than not, we put pressure and expectation on ourselves to try and fix our mental health or try and, you know, do these things, this and that, when sometimes the best thing you can do is just sit with the emotion, allow it to happen, accept it to happen, and that might allow you to then move forward. And more often than not, when we have a crisis in our mental health, it's telling us something. There's something in our lives that isn't conducive with a healthy lifestyle. So it's a really good point. Allowing yourself that time to just accept whatever it is he might be going through and then if you're feeling a little bit better or you know it's time to have some intervention definitely reach out and like you said you you can't rush these things you can't make things happen for people but I think it is just about being there so that when there is the time and the timing is right and people are ready to make changes then give them that space to be able to do it but I completely agree it does it does start with acceptance first and it's so interesting that even though everyone's got something similar going on, that in many ways it really is just inside your head and how, you know, it's sometimes it's almost like a, a piece falling into place and suddenly everything makes sense in this new way. Like you could be stuck in a bit of a rut. I feel like I've been stuck in a bit of a rut this year due to the COVID and different circumstances and a sort of a deflation from the swim. But it's just sometimes it's so interesting how like a refreshing perspective or a conversation with a friend or just something can just like one word said you know can like flip it around almost and then you're almost like how was I ever there how was I ever in that space it's so much more obvious now that things are suddenly make sense those changes in perspectives that really help us reframe our way of thinking is so pinnacle to helping ourselves understand who we are it's one of the main reasons why I keep a journal So whenever I have any kind of insecurity or a negative thought or anything that might be bothering my life, I write it down and I have a conversation with myself. And more often than not, I highlight my own way of thinking to myself in the passage of writing and go, wow, this is really backwards. Why am I thinking of it like this? Or you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself in this area of life. And then if you read these back in like a month's time I feel like I'm a different human it just feels like wow it's, I can't relate to it it's so strange what mattered so much then literally doesn't matter now 
at all. Exactly that. want to emphasise the point that we're all on so different journeys. You can't possibly relate to someone uh, with their journey, but you can still empathise with it. You can understand, okay, I understand where they're coming from. Not because my journey's the same, but because I felt that level of emotion before. And I think being able to communicate that is really, really powerful and, and opening conversations around these levels of feeling and mental health in, in general is so conducive with helping people understand themselves. And it was one of the main motivations behind this podcast really was just to get people talking about different points of view, all sort of different angles of the same kind of talking points. And you never know who it might help. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you definitely don't necessarily know who it will help. I think people need to be quite proactive about it. I think there's a distinction made between physical disease. I think Octavia talked about mental health being a, a disease. And if you have a disease, you go to the doctor. You don't let it, the disease kill you. I think she talked about appendicitis. You, if you had appendicitis, you wouldn't sit there and let the pain consume you until you died from that. <laughs> you have to treat your mental health as something worth protecting. And I think people especially in today's society in many ways take it for granted because of maybe these societal pressures to to not make mistakes or always perform to high standards all of these things are very much put on by yourself they're they're societally based i guess but they're very much self-inflicted and i think one has a responsibility to to acknowledge and work out their own mental health state and their, well, their, how they work mm-hmm. i think that's really important i think people just don't understand or don't appreciate the poignancy of mental health and because of that they can get themselves in bad positions i think it's very much a double-edged sword because you can feel in a low mood and as a result you don't want to do things that benefit you and change that low mood and then it spirals out of control absolutely yeah so i think that's when real intervention can be really useful and also that's why you're turning to friends in that is so important because they can recognize when you're in a low mood or or spiraling and help you to support yourself to get out of these things but it's by no means an easy fix it's a very multifaceted issue i think it's fantastic that you've done this massive swim in the name of your brother what advice would you give to someone who's sort of in a similar situation as yourself at the time and like what would you do to encourage them to to help with their own mental health when dealing with a with a loss I think the first big one is is listening to other people. I think that was the big one for me on my my journey through it. As I kind of said throughout uni, I, I bumped into a lot of people that experienced mental health very differently and had their own issues and, you know, some really horrific issues that shouldn't be happening in society issues. And so just listening to people really helped me with was the gratitude and the empathy, understanding how you kind of touched on it earlier was that people can be going through similar things or you can relate and empathize other people but ultimately their journey is their own what they're going through is not the same as what you're going through you could both experience the loss of a loved one and I think it's also quite common that people often go you know like yeah like my granddad died too you know I can really relate or something like this and you know in one way you have to understand that yeah like for that person that that really is like horrific and that is tragic event and they're going for it in their own way but at the same time you have to let other people have their space like listening to where they're coming from and a death in my family is not necessarily the same as a death in your family or a death of a brother for me is not the same as somebody else 
But going back to the advice I would give that person, it is interesting how I'm probably not so good at taking my own advice. Um, but I, I would say, like you said, probably look for more intervention. I, I think in a sort of weird way, maybe like quite a, a male way, um, I maybe took this like burden in, in the family. To, I was like, I've got to be strong in the family like I can't show the weakness I can't cry about this like in this way because I've got to stay strong to protect the family and so what I'd say is that if I could go back to myself or someone in a similar situation it would be that it really isn't cowardly or lesser to seek a therapist or open up with a friend these kind of things and so yeah that's what I would say I would basically advise people to reach out like you said, but I would also, what I think I did that was good, say, was I channeled that energy into getting into my surfing, into my study. So I guess what I would add on to that is it's really easy, as you said, to um, when you're in a bad mindset to go down that, uh, that, ra- that wormhole, that rabbit hole um, into kind of self-destruction, especially when you can have all these feelings of guilt. Like I definitely had these feelings of guilt that I was actually one of the people there when my brother died. And part of me was like, if I had questioned a bit harder, I could have saved his life. Like, and then that makes me, you know, feel like how could I ever let that happen? And so you can really get self-destructive, but I think it's counterintuitive that when you feel that way, you have to sort of look at that as a motivation to not let that carry on going. So you know, maybe you'll you'll want to take to to drink alcohol, drugs, self harm, or cutting yourself off from people, whatever it is. And I think you, in one way you have to not beat yourself up for doing those things because you have to look at the situation like, look, look what I've been through. It's so understandable that I I did fall down that and I did go into that that rut. But at the same time, you have to sort of use that motivation. And I guess. For me, it was finding a purpose like the channel swim or my studies or surfing, which does so much wonders for my mental health. Just being in the ocean, the cold water and with mates really helps me. You have to sort of try and switch it and use it as a motivation. You're feeling that way because you care. I think that's like, that's a really big one. You're feeling the guilt or the sadness or the self-destruction because you care, like because it's a big issue and you need to kind of accept that. I mean, you need to do a combination of actually not just letting it consume you and, and seeking out for help, but also using that energy to good use, I'd say, and finding a purpose. Even if that purpose is just carrying on, like even if that purpose is just literally getting out of bed that day or going for a run or whatever, but at the same time, don't beat yourself up for not smashing your marathon today. Do you know what I mean, though? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think it's really easy to beat yourself up. In a way, this last year for me has been quite weird in that whilst I was doing the, the channel swim, yeah, it was it was really tough. Um, but now I'm not in that position anymore. Now I'm where I am now. And I haven't had the purpose of doing that swim. And I haven't really had motivation to train for, like, really just do a lot of exercise and lots of things. And, you know, in one way, I think it's it's like, I actually, that's a bit bad. I should be training. I should be getting back into my fitness. But also, I look back and I'm like, oh, I went through that year of training all the time. 
and really beating the body up. We've got like a bit of a sore shoulder permanently now, weird thumbs. That at the same time, actually I can give myself a rest. You know, there's a, there's a balance between letting yourself fall down that slope into doing no activity, but at the same time, you can't beat yourself up for well, for taking a break. Sometimes you do need to take a bit of a break. I feel like the body works with winters and summers. We have these summers where we work hard and we sow the seeds and then the winters where we do have to rest and recuperate. I resonated with so much of what you said, again, uh, talking about these maladaptive coping mechanisms. Maybe it is drink or drugs or self-harm. And at the end of the day, you've got to be like, I'm surviving, you know, I am coping. This may not be a good thing that I'm doing to myself, but I have found a way to to cope. But like you said, you can't stay there. It is a maladaptive coping mechanism. Maybe apply those efforts into other areas and see what you can make yourself. Easier said than done. (laughs) Of course it's easier said than done, yeah. That's what makes it so important and so worthwhile. Mm -hmm. If it was easy, it wouldn't matter. Exactly. Because you're there, you care. And because you care, it's important. I love that. It's so important. It's the depth of you caring that can be quite self-destructive, but ultimately it's what can get you out of it at the same time. Thank you, Robin. This has been absolutely incredible. I think that's all we have about time for for now. Uh, But I would love to have you on again, talk to you about sharks and all. Uh, But thank you so, so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, Connor. Thanks for letting me do it as well. Absolutely. It's been amazing. Thank you so much. Cheers, Connor. Speak soon. I sometimes find the intros and outros of these podcasts the hardest thing to to record. Uh, So I guess I just want to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. Thank you to Robin for taking the time to come on the podcast and sharing his story so openly and honestly. He's clearly been on a bit of a journey. I also looked it up and less than 2,000 people have actually swum the English Channel. So that's an incredible uh, club to be a part of. But that's pretty much it for this episode. If you want to find out more or you want to get involved in the Brain Dump group, just check us out on Facebook or Twitter. If there are any topic areas you want to hear covered on the podcast, or perhaps you know of someone whose story is needing to be told, and if so, get them in touch with me. I'd love to give someone the spotlight to be able to share their story and their perspective on life because I think it's so important we can learn so much from different people's experiences and life lessons. I guess in the meantime, take care and stay safe. I'll try and get more episodes whenever I can, juggling a job and lockdown and life in general. And if you want to reach out, reach out. But that's it from me. Adios.